In the name of the Father, and the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Your bulletin will tell you that uh, Deacon Rob was supposed to be the preacher today. He is the preacher in some sense in that I'm going to be reading his sermon. He was taken ill uh, earlier this week, but had already written his sermon, thankfully, so we didn't have to prepare one fresh. So I'm going to channel my inner Deacon Rob to try to deliver this in a manner that would be worthy of, of him. In our gospel story today, several people converge at the temple. The old man, Simeon, the old woman, Anna, the young parents, Mary and Joseph, and their baby, Jesus. It's a lovely cross-section of people, male, female, old, young, and infant. To better understand the story, it's helpful to know a little bit about these folks and why they are at the temple. The temple at Jerusalem was anchored to a sacred place, Mount Zion, and to access the full efficacy of the place, worshipers needed to go there. We get a sense from this from our psalm even today. The language of the psalm conveys the speaker's deep longing for the temple on Mount Zion. This is one of the pilgrim psalms expressing a powerful longing to enjoy the aura of God's presence in the temple. The image of a bird finding a home gives us the most poignant focus for the speaker's longing. Put aside for a while the reality of how hard life is for a bird, in this psalm, the swallow evokes two human longings, to fly, freedom, and to be nestled, safety. A bird on wing and a bird at rest in the nest. The psalm writer, an unrequited lover, can only dream of this place of intimacy with God. Picture the people in this gospel story going to the temple with this intense longing. What's Mary's longing? Mary and Joseph, following the prescription of the Jewish law, present Jesus to the Lord. The story doesn't explicitly state this, but I believe following the law stirs a deeper longing within Mary, of which she's not even fully aware. Mary is presenting her firstborn son to his father in the temple, with Joseph as the surrogate. Mary is, of course, entirely unique among mothers, but I believe other mothers share the same longing, whether or not they are aware of it, to release their child to God. We joke about giving up our firstborn for something we desperately want. In actuality, we give up, release, our firstborn because we desperately want to come to the point where we can say, my child belongs to God, not me. This is the point of liberation from being consumed by your love for your son and your daughter. If we don't release our children, we'll want to possess them. And what we try to possess will end up possessing us in one way or another. Let it be, Mary said when the angel told her she would bear a son. As soon as she had that son, she had to let him go. Mary goes to the temple to give back to God what God had given to her, and through her, to all of us. What Mary released meant salvation for all. Mary the mother follows God the Father's example in releasing his own son. He did so because he longs to be with us, and he did so paradoxically by constraining his son's freedom and renouncing his son's safety. The temple is not a safe place for Jesus. The temple will later on be a place of intense conflict between Jesus and what the temple had come to represent. It is in the house of the high priest, the leader of the temple, 
where Jesus will be condemned to die. And it's in the temple that Simeon tells Mary that a sword will pierce her soul. Along with the aura of God's presence throughout these texts, an aura of death is also pervasive in the gospel, which seems to be a bit counterintuitive at Christmas, which is all about birth. Luke, however, brilliantly counterpoints birth with death. And this is one reason he makes Simeon, along with Anna, the central characters of the story. They're much closer to death than they are to birth. If Mary goes to the temple to release her son to God, Simeon goes to the temple to hold Mary's son before death releases him to God. God has promised Simeon that he will see Jesus before he dies. And this is why Simeon longs to go to the temple to see the consolation of all Israel and the salvation of all people. But seeing Jesus also portends his own death. As we age, we see portents of death which discourage us from superficial aches and pains, wrinkles, stiffness, to more profound changes. Words we know, names we know, fall through a trap door in our brains. We see a familiar face and can't attach the name to that face. When I, again, Rob, when I came to Wheaton and first walked into All Souls, I still considered myself a young man. But no longer. I have aged here. I'm getting old here with all of you, which I guess means you're getting old with me. Death is always imminent, but as we age, it gets closer. It's helpful to acknowledge this with as much acceptance and humor as one can muster. And this is why our vision of Jesus needs to become sharper, clearer, and dearer as we get older. Simeon not only sees Jesus, he holds in his arms the salvation of all Israel, and through Israel, all people. This scene with death looming is both intimate and expansive. It's life-fulfilling and life-giving. For Simeon, a vision of Jesus is not just the end of his life, it's a release to God, which is the culmination of a life well-lived. It's as if we get to read Simeon's obituary just before he dies. I enjoy reading obituaries, again, Rob, which is not a morbid activity, he says. Obituary writing is a special craft and powerful when done well. Obituaries most often give an account of lives well-lived. Last week I read the obituaries of three people vastly different from each other, all of whom have impacted me as well as the world. They are the writer Joan Didion, the Hall of Fame coach and broadcaster John Madden, and the Archbishop Desmond Tutu. The orbits capture the essence of these people, Joan Didion's stark realism, her precise and penetrating writing, John Madden's effusive joy, and Desmond Tutu's delight in all that is good in the world. After he introduced Mr. Mandela as South Africa's first black president, Tutu told reporters, I said to God, God, if I die now, I don't really mind. In an essay on the life of the biblical matriarchs, the biblical matriarch Sarah, Rabbi David Foreman writes, As you make your way toward the last stages of life, when the prospect of death starts to become more real, that growing awareness of life's end doesn't leave you feeling empty inside. Fear of that inevitable end doesn't become your sole obsessive focus. Why? Perhaps because the way that you've lived your life prepares you to leave life. You've lived without leaving your earlier selves behind, and maybe that gives you the confidence to see death itself as just another stage that will give way into yet another, an ultimate stage, 
whose mystery you ready yourself in your entirety to embrace. Paradoxically, when you confront death that way, you feel more able to surrender your life when that day finally arrives to the one who created it. Maybe that's what it means to live an extraordinary life. Simeon and Anna lived extraordinary lives of expectant waiting to see him. When they do, Simeon says, I'm good to go now. And Anna sees Jesus and can't stop talking about him. And for those of us who are not granted a vision of our Lord, where do we see Jesus? Nicholas of Cusa wrote, In all faces is seen the face of faces, veiled and in a riddle. The riddle is the judgment that Jesus shares in the Gospel of Matthew, when we'll be judged according to how we treat the least of our brethren. For Jesus, as Bonhoeffer says, comes in the form of a beggar, of the dissolute human child asking for help. As long as there are people, Christ will walk the earth as your neighbor, as the one through whom God calls you, to, God calls you speaks to you, and makes demands on you. It is appointed unto men once to die, and after that, the judgment. And the judgment is coming face to face, with the face we have seen all along, and others we have loved and served and helped. And when we see Jesus, we'll say, hey, I know you. And he'll say, I know you too, and I love you. And he'll draw us into his arms. Amen.